So this class we're going to do on truth and error. It'll be a little bit different than a normal kind of topical apologetics class. I want you guys to get a hands-on, down-and-dirty, authentic way of dealing with the deception that you'll encounter in your life. Because it's only going to get more prevalent. So we're going to go through a filter with five different layers of how to diagnose deception. Does that make sense? So, let's say you hear some interesting argument in the future. Like, there is no hell. Okay? That's one that we've been hit with a lot lately. Or, maybe hell is just figurative, or etc. You're going to be able to take a statement like that and actually plug it through five different layers and know for certain what Scripture says about that issue, if that makes sense. It'll be a really good tool to have that I hope for the rest of your life you'll be able to use. The other thing is it's going to be really interactive. So you're going to have to bring your computers, hopefully. It won't just be me talking in this class. Every week we're going to look at different areas. I don't want to just look at topics, but I want to look at Christian areas of deception. And so we'll go through several of those. And then we'll look at secular areas of deception. We'll go through several of those. And then we're going to end looking at lifestyle areas of deception. Things that Christians and non buy into. Uh, and, and it has a lot more to do maybe with just living your life than it does with a worldview, so to say. But that, it is a worldview in, in its own right. And hopefully with each of these areas, you'll be able to apply the filters. And we'll, we'll have time to get in the Word together here uh, on your computer. You'll be able to search things out on the coordinates and all that sort of stuff. And then I want to have all of us really come together with some answers. So it won't just be me talking. The filter is going to go like this. The first one is going to, is going to be, the first layer of the filter is going to be what? I'm just going to paraphrase this, actually. It's going to be, what does the Bible say about it? Sounds kind of simple, right? What does the Bible say explicitly about this issue? So there might be some verse that deals specifically with it or some number of verses. With hell, for example, that would be the case. You could just type hell into a search engine. We're actually going to use studylight.org. It's a great tool. And so if you bring your laptops, you'll be able to get online and use that. And we'll be able to look through some different issues and then check in Scripture and see what does Scripture say about this issue. The next layer that we're going to go to is uh, what are the biblical principles that govern this issue? So maybe the Bible doesn't talk specifically about it, but what are the different principles that would guide us to come to a biblical understanding of this issue? Take smoking, for example. The Bible doesn't say don't smoke, but we could look at some different principles like your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, etc., that would govern that issue, right? So that'd be the second layer of the filter. The third layer that we're going to look at is the um, criteria of deception. The Bible gives us a ton of different criteria for deception, a lot of them. We're going to look at 21 big ones today. And those, each week, we'll be able to kind of run through them, and by the end of the semester, you'll have a mental checklist of those criteria, I'm sure. So some of these things will jump right out at you. You'll be able to see real quickly, oh yeah, it violates three of those 21 criteria of deception, right? So we won't have to spend a lot of time going through those each week, but that is what we're going to go through today. So I hope that you'll get kind of a foundation for that today. Uh, the fourth issue is going to be what's its historical context. Because some of these things, maybe the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about it, and maybe different principles in Scripture seem irrelevant concerning this issue. Usually, 
if that were the case, some of the criteria of deception will clear it up. But just for more perspective, we're going to look at the historical context. Because there are issues that are really infiltrating the church right now, which have never, ever, ever existed in the church before now, in Christianity. But they have existed in other areas, like, say, the New Age or Hinduism. And they've been major tenets of those worldviews and philosophies. And now they're beginning to enter the church, and Christians are buying them hook, line, and sinker. And not realizing that, gosh, this has been in Hinduism for 3,000 years. Is the Holy Spirit just mimicking Hinduism? I mean, what's the real story here, right? And so we'll be able to look at the historical context. Of course, that on its own would not be everything. But it should be a red flag, right? If, if you've always seen it in one area, and all of a sudden now it's popping up here, why is that? God is, is not a copier of Satan, but it goes the other way around, right? Okay, and then finally, we're going to look at the fruit. Jesus said we'd be able to, to judge a tree by its fruit. So we're going to end this, these, these five layers of the filter by looking at the fruit that this produces, uh, both in our lives and in other people's lives, right? And so those are the five layers of the filter that I hope we get really familiar with. So for the rest of your life, when you hear something that maybe isn't 100%, it doesn't quite jack with you, you'll be able to plug it through here and really see uh, what the issue is. Does that make sense? Like somebody says, that first example, what does the Bible really say about hell? You'll be able to look right through this and, and get to the bottom of it. Alright? So this will be I hope really good. And you'll be doing a lot of that every week. You'll be doing a lot of the work. So we wanted to start by going through the different criteria of deception and looking at what scripture says to watch out for. Because the Bible tells us over and over and over, and we're going to look at a few key areas. We're going to look at what, what Jesus said about deception, uh, one of the main things that Jesus said about it. We're going to look at a lot of what Paul said to different people, and then we're going to look at what Peter said about deception. And in each one of those cases, they gave us several flags to look for, several things that we should look for. And I want to start by saying 1 Corinthians 2.15 says, the spiritual man makes judgments about all things. The Greek word there for judgments means he investigates, he examines, he looks into, he sifts through, and he questions. It's not wrong to judge things, it's wrong to judge people. Does that make sense? So it would be wrong for me to say, Nate, you are a fool. In fact, Jesus said that whoever says something like that is in danger of hell, right? That would be a hardcore statement. I'm not supposed to make that kind of judgment about a person. I could, however, look at something Nate said, or something a professor said, and say, no, that statement is wrong, or even that statement is foolish. It's not wrong for me to make judgments about things, it is wrong for me to make judgments about people. In fact, not only is it not wrong to make judgments about things, but you as a believer are required to make judgments about all things, Scripture says. So, remember 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take, everything, take every thought and make it submissive to Jesus Christ, right? Make it obedient to Jesus Christ. And that's the idea here, is you're going to get hit with a whole lot of deception, and you need to be able to bring it back to Christ and bring it back to the truth. I gotta get this, uh, this clock out here so I won't get off track and go forever. All right. The next thing I wanted to, to mention is 1 John 4 1. Right? 1 John 4 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have already gone out into the world. So the idea here is that we need to test the spirits, and we need to test what we're hearing, to line it up with Scripture and see if it's legitimate or not. There are some great passages on the differences between the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the flesh. You guys could look at Galatians 5, 19 through 23, Matthew 7, 21 through 22, if you're taking notes, Romans 13, 13, 1 Corinthians 14, 40, 
I'll read these again, Acts 1.8, Titus 3.3, and 1 Peter 4.3-5. Those passages all talk about things that the Holy Spirit produces, and a lot of them are contrasted with the things that our own flesh produces, or that Satan produces. So that'll give you a perspective on what is from God, what isn't from God. Again, those are Galatians 5, 19 through 23, Matthew 7, 21 through 22, Romans 13, 13, 1 Corinthians 14, 40, Acts 1, 8, Titus 3, 3, and 1 Peter 4, 3 through 5. All right, so now we're going to go to the 21 signs of deception. And this will be, I think, very uh, clarifying and interesting. And maybe if we have time, we'll pick out a random topic and try and think through, in light of these 21 issues, what scripture would have us believe about that issue. These are going to come from Jesus' warning in Matthew 24, and that's a parallel chapter with uh, Mark 13 and Luke 21. And Jesus gives a lot of the signs of the uh, end times in that passage. But he gives one very big warning about deception. We'll also look at Paul's warning to the Romans from Romans 16. We'll read all these passages and then go through some of, the, some of the deceptions and then think of examples. We'll look at Paul's warning to the Corinthians, Paul's warning to the Galatians. We'll look at Paul's warning to Timothy in both of his letters about how to, how to diagnose deception. And then we're finally going to end up looking at Peter's warning in 2 Peter. And, and we'll be able to come up with this list of 21 different criteria that I think will help you a lot. Some of them you're going to know intuitively. Just having been a Christian, they'll be very, very, very obvious to you the second you hear them. Other ones, maybe not so much. Other ones, you're going to go, wow, that makes sense, but I maybe never knew that that was a criteria of deception, so to say. All right? So this is going to be fun. So first of all, I want to start by reading in Matthew 24. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And this is Jesus himself speaking about deceivers and people that would deceive and the end days. All right? So we're going to go to Matthew 24. We're going to read verse 24. So just one verse here. Some of the next passages are going to be a bit longer. But I'm also going to follow that up reading some of Jesus' words from some other passages. But just, just go to Matthew 24 right now. Verse 24. Be there. Okay. Jesus says, For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. All right, uh, Mark 13, 22, Mark 13 being that parallel chapter, also says the exact same thing. Now, the issue here isn't that God doesn't do signs and miracles. I'm not saying that. I'd be crazy to say God can't do miracles. And I've actually seen God do amazing things. I, in, in Nepal once, we saw an entire village heal of various illnesses and diseases. Uh, the whole village ended up becoming Christians after that. I've seen a student here at this campus diagnosed with testicular cancer. A brand new baby Christian. His name was Thomas. And he came and said, I just got diagnosed with testicular cancer. He's a freshman. And I'm going through the discipleship packet with him. He is a very baby Christian, brand new. And I said, Do you, you know, I kind of explained the issue of prayer to him and said, Can we get a bunch of the students praying for you? And he said, I would love that. And Aaron and I have this prayer team, which right now we have over 400 people on our email list that will send email issues to and ask them to pray for things that are happening on campus. And I said, can we send this prayer request to all those people, too? And it didn't have 400 then, but it had a lot, probably two, 300. And he said, yeah, do it. He was really freaked out, really scared. And so we started praying, and he actually withdrew from school. The doctors told him, you're going to need to back out of school. And 
be ready to fight this thing hard because it's going to be an intense issue. Okay, hey, buddy, don't worry about it. And so we withdrew from class and went to, to fight this thing hard, went for his CAT scan to kind of figure out how to approach this best. And when they did the follow-up CAT scan, they could find no trace whatsoever of this testicular cancer. I mean, it was gone, right? Pretty amazing. We saw another student that the doctor said wouldn't live through the weekend. This is the weekend after a spring break that he spent the entire spring break sharing his faith on the beach with us, right? So we were on, at South Padre Island sharing our faith. And got back, he went to see his family and had an accident. The doctor said he wouldn't live through the weekend. He had a serious brain injury. By the next weekend, he was walking and talking. The doctor said it's nothing but a miracle. Again, we saw God do something great. Those are just a few stories. We've seen other ones. So I would be a fool to say God can't do miraculous things or that he can't do amazing things, or he can't do things that we can't explain. I'm not going to say that. What I am going to say is, in Jesus' own words, in Matthew 24, um, those signs and wonders will be something that Satan uses to deceive people in the end times. Does that make sense? And here, here's one way to look at it. If the signs and the wonders are an emphasis, then you can probably assume they're not from God. Does that make sense? Emphasis? What do you mean by emphasis? If that is the focus, if that is the emphasis, okay. right? Any true sign or wonder is always going to point back to Jesus. And a lot of times I hear because Christians are so passionate about seeking signs and wonders when they should be passionate about seeking Jesus alone. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? And seeking to obey him. If he wants to do a miracle through you, he will do it. <laughs> if you're obedient and, and allow him to. That should not be your focus or your, your, um, your direction or your passion. All right. And I've heard Christians say things like, like this. They'll say, the only way God is going to reach this town is through signs and miracles. I think that's absurd. If your faith is based on a sign and a miracle, your faith will be gone as soon as the sign and miracle is gone. Our faith has to rest on the unchanging reality of who God is and what he's done for us. And if God can use a sign or a miracle to get us to that point, then praise him. Right? But that should not be what my faith rests on. That being said, here's, some, here's something that Jesus told us also. And, then, and this is recorded in Matthew 12, 39. Matthew 16, 4, and Luke eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus said, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. So people were coming to Jesus and saying, Do a sign, do a sign, do a sign. And he said, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. Because, see, they weren't seeking him, they were seeking the sign. So this is a criterion of deception. Going on to, in Matthew 7, 22 through 23, Jesus continues saying, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So these are people that, that somehow thought that they were true believers and they were too focused maybe on those issues. Jesus says they performed all these signs and wonders. And Jesus will say, you didn't know me. right? He's the issue. These things aren't the issue. So the first red flag of deception, uh, and these aren't in any specific order. They're just in the order of where they show up in the New Testament. So this isn't the most important one, it's just it's in the first book of the New Testament. So that's why it's first. But the first red flag would be signs and wonders. Is that the overemphasis? Is that the focus? If it is, um, we can't say that any of these red flags write it off completely. But if it is, you want to look further. Does that make sense? You want to investigate and see what the real deal is. And again, like I said before, God is still going to do great things and miraculous things. But we need to be aware of those. All right. Can you think of any examples, maybe, where there have been signs or wonders that got people off track? 
look at Hitler, for example, like he was he was doing a miracle for the nation in that sense. Like it might not have been like a snap miracle, but the country was in a pit, and his words were so persuasive, and he like made. I mean, it seemed like a miracle to the people, the fact that he was pulling them out of, like, the depression that they were in. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and everyone bought into it, and then that led to manipulation. So, yeah. I don't know. That was a thought that came to my mind. That, that's one. I was in Nepal, and everybody claims that these Hindu priests can do all sorts of miraculous things. And I've never investigated it enough. I've never gone and talked to these people that saw this directly. So I wouldn't know. But you know the rumor is in that country that is that these very non-Christian individuals can do these miraculous signs and they lead people very much astray. Right? That's just one example. There are examples within Christianity. We'll talk about some of those in the following weeks, so I'm not going to go into them now. But beware if if the sign and the miracle are the main thing, then that's dangerous. Like Howard Hendricks said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. <laughs> pretty simple, but it's pretty awesome, right? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. So we don't want to get sidetracked necessarily by things that seem really exciting, but maybe they aren't substantive or even from God. So just check it. Okay, Paul's warning to the Romans. You guys turn to Romans 16, 17 through 18. We're going to read a little bit about what Paul says about deception to the Romans. This is important. There are two more red flags. Most of these red flags, like I said, they alone don't write the whole thing off. That's why we're going to go through the, this whole filter. Right? right? What does the Bible say about it? What are the principles in Scripture that guide it? What are these signs of deception? What is its context historically? And then what's the fruit of it? If we look at all these, we should be able to get a good handle on whether something is from God or not. So these red flags don't mean for sure that it's not from God. But there are things that we need to look at. Some of them actually will be right off the bat. You know it's not from God. Like... Red flag number two, which is talked about in Romans 16. You guys ready? Romans 16, 17 through 18 says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Okay. So he's talking again about deception, and he's talking about two big red flags. I also want to go to Ephesians 5, 6, which says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. And then in Colossians 2, 4, he says, Similarly, not to be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. Does that make sense? So there are two big red flags here from, the, from these passages, and specifically from Romans 16. Uh, red flag number two, I'm actually going to start writing these. So number one is signs and miracles. Number two is division among believers. Right. The Holy Spirit, you can look at Scripture, obviously His desires to unite believers. You can look at Ephesians 4, it tells us all about that. So He's uniting believers. Okay. Now, when we see the opposite of that, when we see believers being divided and separated because of certain issues, very often those issues will be Deception. Not always, right? Because truth also kind of divides. Does that make sense? A lot of times truth is going to be divisive by nature. It's exclusive. It's only one way. So we really, again, it's a red flag. It's something that we need to look at. 
But if something is dividing believers, you need to take a good look at it and decide, is this from God or not, right? Well, like, it's so hard, though, sometimes to do that, because, like, I mean, I really didn't grow up with so much division amongst believers, but I get to the United States, and, like, that's pretty much all you see. All you see. It's not necessarily that present here on campus, because, like, you make that very clear to the group, especially, that, you know, you're free to, like, yeah. you know, practice your Christianity from wherever you're coming from, and everyone has to respect that, but, like, it, we, me and Jake were talking about this over break with some of his friends and how, how it's ridiculous, but, like, how can you define that truth? Like, how can, it's hard to, sometimes, sometimes it's such a thin line in Scripture, and it could, it could go either way. There's obviously an absolute truth to it, but, like, will we ever know that, that truth? And if so, what do you do with something like this? That's, that's the whole point of the filter. This is going to be cool because this semester we're going to go through these five layers of this filter. So you'll take something like that that seems like it could go either way and plug it through all five layers. And hopefully at the end of that you'll have a good understanding. And, and even Paul tells the Philippians, if there's still disagreement after that, um, kind of put it to the side and not make it a major issue. If there's yeah. that much disagreement after all those different layers of the filter that we go through, then it's probably not a main issue. And <laughs> if it's not a main issue, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, right? Yeah. So either we can toss the issue out or we can say it's not big enough to, to, to warrant this kind of attention. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So the second level, of, or the second criterion of, the, of deception, of the second aspect of deception would be division among believers. Typically, that is not being caused by God. Sometimes truth is going to result in that. An example that we had here on campus is we were doing this cross-training class. And we actually had five classes going at the same time. This is a few years back. And we had a class for brand new baby Christians. And class Lee is doing is Essentials 2. Uh, this was Essentials 1, so it was kind of like the precursor to Essentials 2. And we had all these, and this, these are brand new Christians, maybe 10 students that had just become Christians within the last month of that class. And this was the first class of the semester. They're all excited. They're all going to get really good scriptural grounding for their faith in this very fringish denomination of Christians shows up. We got word that they were coming. Somebody told us that they heard from somebody that they heard from somebody that they were going to come and try and... training? Yeah. They were going to come and try and convince all the brand new Christians that they weren't really saved. Okay? And we thought, that's bizarre. We'll see if it really happens. Sure enough, they show up two people. And one of the guys actually became a Christian through this ministry. He got plugged into this church because of a girlfriend that he had there and ended up being convinced that he wasn't really saved, except by some sequence of works that they told him he had to do before he could really be saved. So he's basing his salvation on these works that this church told him he had to do. And since none of these other believers uh, believed that they are saved through these same works, they thought we'd better go tell them all that they're not saved by grace through faith, but that they have these extra works that they need to do to make sure that they're saved. So they come to the class and literally they just start telling the class, you guys aren't saved. You have to do these extra things before you'll really be saved. And some of the things that they're saying are going to come out later because our church is the only one that can offer these things. So it was kind of one of those types of situations. I had to sit down with those students that night. They're both college students. And I had to tell them, look, if your desire is to come here and distract people and cause division, then I'm going to ask you to never come back again. 
And if you want to come here and grow with the rest of these believers and believe the best about each other, then you're more than welcome. But the choice is yours. If your point is to cause division, then please don't come back. And they never did come back. Does that make sense? That was an area, though, where division was very necessary scripturally. They could not keep coming back and putting doubt into these young believers' minds. It would not be healthy. right? Uh, so there will be instances. This, the third red flag, though, is flattery and nice-sounding arguments that are actually empty but deceive the naive. So I'm going to put three empty flattery. And there might be a whole lot of ministries that will try to attract people by just saying what they want to hear. Does that make sense? We've all seen them on TV. We've all seen them all over the place. Typically, they're going to be deceivers. They're going to be deceiving people that are scripturally naive. They don't understand what scripture really says. So they're going to say a whole lot of things that you want to hear. Well, if, if it sounds like empty flattery, you want to take another look. Because Paul tells the Romans that is... That is one of the criteria of deception. Okay, let's go to Paul's warning to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11. And we're going to read a lot of verses out here. Or not a lot, three. But they're big ones. There are some huge criteria here. 2 Corinthians 11. So turn to 2 Corinthians 11. I'm going to make you a sheet next week, which will have each of the five layers of this filter. And in this third one, it'll have all these criteria of deception. And so every new issue that we look at on a weekly basis, we can just plug it through pretty quickly, right? And what I'm going to do, should have explained this better at the beginning, is we will take time away where we, we just each work through some of these issues, and then we'll come and talk about it. And I want you guys to actually be a part of, of teaching class, of talking about what you found. Okay, so Paul's warning to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 11.3. Excuse me. It's hard to talk right. Anyway, 2 Corinthians 11.3 and then 19 through 20. says, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. All right? And then in 19 through 20, he says, You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or pushes himself forward or slaps you in the face. And that's, he gives all these different criteria of deception in this one passage. And it's pretty crazy. You think to yourself, who's going to slap you in the face? Right? Who's going to do that kind of thing? And we'll talk about it in a minute, but there are Christian ministers doing that kind of thing. And people are following them. And they're, they're failing to realize scripture itself gives us these criteria for deception. and says, watch out for people that do these types of things. So the first criteria, the first of the, the criteria that Paul mentions to the Corinthians here, uh, red flag number four, we would say, is a distraction from simple and pure devotion to Christ. So does this distract you from a simple... and pure devotion to Christ. Can you guys think of anything that would qualify under that one? Things that would distract you from a simple and pure devotion to Christ. What's that? Signs and wonders. Yeah, that could be one. A lot of these other ones could. The division issue, this group that was coming up, 
these students had a simple and pure devotion to Christ. And they're saying, uh-uh, you, you didn't X, Y, and Z. Right? They're distracting them from a simple and pure devotion to Christ and pointing them back to something that's not an issue at all. Right? A lot of these different things would distract us from a simple and pure devotion to Christ. They might sound really good, or they might sound really flashy, but they're not just a simple and pure devotion to Christ. Uh, that's one of the criteria. Yeah, for the that's 2 Corinthians 11, 3. Things that can, like, fuel you, your pride without even realizing it. You yeah. Know? Uh-huh. Like, especially when it goes into the realm of, like, spiritual giftings. Mm-hmm. Like, you really need to learn how to take that mm-hmm. as a gift coming from God instead of saying... Okay, God's giving me this, but now I'm going to be feeling my pride and like yeah. I'm going to be doing I'm going to be doing the wonders, or I'm going to be doing this, or I'm going to be doing that. But it's really God; mm-hmm. He's just using you. So, but that that sounds super attractive. I mean, yeah. to anyone. Doesn't it you know? sound? Yeah, don't you guys hear things typically that that sound intriguing, or maybe mm-hmm. they sound deep, they sound complicated, they sound like if you were to know them, you'd be really smart. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff, typically, it could be a distraction from simple and pure devotion to Christ. It can even be apologetics. Right? It could be apologetics. No. Yeah, absolutely. So this cannot distract us from simple and pure devotion to Christ. That is another one of the flags that we need to look for. What are some of the other flags? Right in the beginning of verse 19, he says, "By foolishness. probably seen Christians being extremely foolish, even Christian leaders. And I've seen things that I sit there and I go, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> it, what, what are you trying to say? Well, if it's foolish, or if it seems like foolishness, I need to evaluate that further. And I need to see, is this from God or not? Right? I've been in a room, not to, I'm not criticizing any of the different gifts or what you might believe about those, because we're non-denominational. And uh, but I'll tell an example that was very interesting. I was in a room once with three or four hundred Christians barking and howling at the moon. Okay? I mean, ruff, ruff, <laughs> growling at each other, <laughs> howling like they're howling at the moon, and pushing each other all over the place. I mean, pushing each other. That's one of the other criteria that we'll mention in a minute, in a minute here. But this was total foolishness. I mean, if... If anybody would have walked into this meeting that wasn't a Christian, they would have thought, you guys are a bunch of nuts. Right? Well, that, by the way, is going to be another criteria of deception. Does it cause people to malign Christianity? Does it cause people to think badly about Christ? Okay? So if something seems really foolish, I'm not just saying, I'm not saying that, that, um, that it's necessarily deception. Paul actually said that, that in 1 Corinthians 1 that God's called foolish things. Shame the ones, right? So some, sometimes what, what God's called us to do doesn't seem logical to people, right? But it, we need to evaluate some of this stuff, right? Okay, foolishness. Physical roughness is another one that's mentioned there, right? They slap you in the face. Isn't that interesting? There's, there's this one leader that actually just had this big divorce. He was, got caught in an affair, big divorce, big scandal. And he's, this is maybe last year, and he's already doing the circuit again, ministering again, which is crazy. He, regardless of his theology, which is really off base, his 
lifestyle over the last year and a half, two years, shows that he really has no place in ministry, especially for a long time, right? He needs some time to really get strong with God. And, but anyway, this man, I watched him on video saying, so I'm standing there, and the Holy Spirit told me to run across the, the stage and ram this lady with my head like a rhinoceros. <laughs> okay? Well, that wasn't the Holy Spirit, buddy. <laughs> that was, and the same guy said, and the Holy Spirit told me to kick this guy in the face with my biker boots. <laughs> I'm thinking, you, you, know, this, you need to learn how to listen better because that's not the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells me that physical roughness is a sign of deception. Does that make sense? Right? We need to be gentle with each other. We don't need to be rough with each other. So that's, that is a, a sign of deception, so be careful with it. Now, there's something else that's mentioned in this passage that is one of the biggest indicators of deception. In fact, I would put it first if we weren't just going chronologically through Scripture, right? Um, and that is legalism and manipulation, right? Mm -hmm. Listen to what he says. In fact, you even put up with someone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or pushes himself forward, right? So he's manipulating you. He's enslaving you to some legalistic pattern. I was part of a church, actually when I was younger, uh, on the mission field, that became extremely legalistic. And, and that's always, always a big red flag for deception. Because Galatians 5.1 says that, that God set you free and that you're supposed to remain in that and not be enslaved again. Mm -hmm. right? So whenever somebody starts to remove your freedom or steal your freedom or manipulate you to do what they want, run from it. Because that manipulation and that legalism are always signs of deception. If somebody's trying to manipulate you, they're effectively trying to be your God. And, and if that's the case, then they really have a poor understanding of God. Right? And that's why I often tell you guys, Jake, I'm afraid you don't have what it takes. Holy Spirit has it covered, right? I trust the Holy Spirit in you a whole lot more than I trust you. I trust the Holy Spirit in you enough to lead you and guide you. He's the one that has to do that. I can't do that. I can't say who you're going to marry or where you're going to live or what you're going to do. That's his job, not mine. The second someone starts trying to push those things on you, you need to get away from that person. Because they're trying to take God's role in your life that God needs to take. And I was a part of a church that began doing this in, in a really bad way. It's actually a denomination that's fairly large, but also still kind of small. There's been a big expose done on them in, in major Christian magazines and all that. But they got to this point where, literally, if the pastor saw you and didn't like how you were dressed, the pastor could say, go home and change. I don't like the way you're dressed. Now, there's a point, you know, if there's immodesty or something for a leader to encourage you to be more modest. But that level of manipulation and legalism is wrong. They would tell you who you could marry, where you could go on vacation. My father-in-law tells a story. He was involved in a church like this back in the 70s. And he said, we're going on vacation back to California. And this person that he was telling that to said, did you clear that with the elders yet? <laughs> and he said, what? what? And they said, yeah, you you can't just go on vacation. You've got to clear that with the elders of the church first. <laughs> he said, uh -huh, I'm done with this church, right? Because that's a level of legalism and manipulation that, that Christ died to set you free from, right? Still be submitted to godly authority. Right? There's a good balance here. But godly authority that you submit to should always have your best interest in mind. And they should not be manipulative or legalistic with you, right? They should be encouraging you to live up to Scripture, but nothing in addition to Scripture. So... If they're saying scripture is solid on this issue, and I want to encourage you to live up to that, I think that's okay. But if they're starting to add things to scripture, that's not okay, right? 
they're starting to add a scripture, that's not okay. So red flags would be legalism and manipulation. They'd be huge. So six, I'm going to put physical roughness. Then I'm going to put seven here is going to be legalism and manipulation. Don't you guys hate manipulation? Don't you ever feel, ugh, you're under this incredible pressure that you can't endure when somebody's trying to manipulate you? Okay, let me put a simple motion Jesus. Okay, we're going to go through uh, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, Okay, we're going to go through a few more there. And hopefully we get through all 21 before the class is over. 21. 21 different things that scripture says watch out for. There are probably others, too. These are just some biggies that you can't miss. What's that, Smith? So the 2 Corinthians 11, 19, 19 through what verse? 20. 20, okay. Two short verses with a whole lot in them. Galatians 1, 6 through 10 is Paul's warning to the Galatians about this. And in fact, he's talking to people that have been manipulated, and they've had people putting a lot of legalistic issues on them. In fact, these people were trying to tell them, even though you're saved by grace through faith, you have to live up to the Jewish law. And we just quoted Galatians 5.1 a minute ago, where Paul is saying, remain in the freedom that God already set you free for. And then in Galatians 3.1, he's also, he's also extremely worried. And he's saying, saying, I can't believe how quickly you've been deceived, right? These people have been deceived into believing all this stuff, and it's been very, very sudden. So going back to Galatians chapter 1, he's talking about some of the deception that had been creeping up, some of the things that they've been hearing, right? And Paul warns them. He says in Galatians 1, 6 through 10, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned, as we have already said. So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Okay? So Paul, what, that's pretty hardcore, right? If somebody's giving you a gospel other than that which you've already received, let him be eternally condemned. What comes to mind when you think about an angel giving a gospel other than that which you've already received? Mormonism, right? Gee whiz, this angel just gave me a gospel other than that which we've already received. They would have done well to realize, right, scripture tells us, don't believe it, don't buy into it, right? And coincidentally, they still use the same, the same Bible, the King James Version, that we do. They have the Book of Mormon in addition. I don't understand how they don't read this verse in question Joseph Smith and his revelation, or his supposed revelation. But anyway, so what's the big one there? Flag number eight would be special revelation. I would have put this at number two, or maybe even tied for number one, if I was talking about which flags were, were most important. But again, we're just going through scripture. But typically, if anybody says, I have the only truth, I have a corner on the market, 
Uh, you have to believe what I say because I'm the only one that's right. Typically, that person is dead wrong. And Christians also start to do this in our walks with God. We start to, we start to look for nuggets in Scripture, right? This is, this is hopefully a challenge to you. You don't need a nugget. <laughs> you need the whole thing, right? You don't need a nugget. You need all of Scripture. And honestly, there are no nuggets that God has not left uncovered for 2,000 years. God didn't say, well, Dakota, the whole church is going to suffer for 2,000 years until you come along and uncover a nugget and then share it with the church, right? Our issue isn't finding a nugget. Our issue is, is knowing the word. We need to know the word in and out. We need to live the word in and out. So I need to quit looking for these special little revelations. If God wants to speak a, uh, a proverbial nugget or give you something that really just connects with where you're at and makes a whole lot of sense to where you're going, that's great. He can do that, right? He'll typically do that as you're being devoted and committed to knowing and understanding his word and doing a good job of studying it and learning it, right? So one of Paul's warnings here is avoid these special revelations from God, right? Or this uncommon form of Christianity. So the second you start seeing people that say, we have a special revelation, we are the only way, run from it. Again, these people that, that caused some of the division, they're coming and telling all these students, you're not really saved. Well, they had an uncommon form of Christianity. It's an extreme minority of Christians that, that believe um, the way their denomination does. And it's really forcing on others legalism. You see how many of these criteria start to line up for different denominational issues and all this? And you can almost pin every one of these on them. They're starting to say, if you don't do it our way, you're not really saved. And they're actually coming up and telling students that, right? I believe they're really my brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe this group is really going to be with us in heaven. But they were trying to force these uncommon views, this special revelation, this special truth that only our denomination has on everybody else. And saying, you're lost if you don't have it. And Paul said about that, run from it. It's no good. Okay, so Galatians 1 talks about avoiding this special revelation. Now, Paul's warning to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7. We're going to go through 5, 15 each week, by the way. And so, that's kind of our time frame. Uh, Paul's warning to Timothy, and this is in 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7. And then we're also going to go through 2 Timothy 3, 13, and 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. So Paul told Timothy all sorts of stuff to be watching for as far as deception. I'm just going to read it. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. Timothy ended up being the pastor over the church in Ephesus. I think I've heard that there, that there were over 10,000 people in the church. In small groups, right? They weren't meeting in one place. But they're all throughout the city. And Timothy, this young man, is overseeing the whole thing. Now you can imagine, out of 10,000 people, you're going to get some strange issues, right? some strange doctrines, some deceptions. And he says, I'm astonished. And he says, as I urge you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. That's going to be one of the criteria in a minute. So don't devote yourselves to myths and endless genealogies. <clears throat> These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Okay, that's 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7. 
It continues in 2 Timothy 3.13, Evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So they're going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Okay? Second um, Timothy 4, 1 through 5. He continues saying, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. So deception, red flag number nine, would be speculation and fruitless discussion, right? Speculation. And I think he said meaningless talk in there in that version. There are all sorts of deceptions that are going to be right there, guys. They're going to cause a whole lot of speculation. I wonder if that's really true. And, and meaningless talk. It doesn't get you anywhere, right? Give me an example, for example, of meaningless talk. Okay. Like, kind of things that could be We'll talk about it later. Okay. Are angel feathers really from God? Holy cow, this feather fell in our meeting. It's probably an angel feather. Okay. Well, everybody's sitting here talking about, is this really an angel feather? <laughs> Who the heck cares? <laughs> right? Does that make sense? I mean, really, who cares? It's not. I mean, they've analyzed them since, and they're bird feathers, but you still got entire denominations buying into them as real angel feathers, which boggles the mind, okay? Even though they're scientifically proven to be nothing but a bird feather. But you've got people that are speculating. I wonder if it's really from an angel. What if it is from an angel? And then showing pictures. This angel turned my frowny snowman figurine into a smiley snowman figurine. What the heck are you talking about, <laughs> right? This is speculation and meaninglessness. There's a world going to hell that needs the gospel. Let's go for it. We don't need to talk about whether or not this angel feather is from God. Does that make sense? Um, so it's, and, and the next flag here is, that, does it distract people from doing God's work by faith, right? So does it distract from God's work by faith? Again, that example is huge. You're spending all your time talking about angel feathers. You're probably not going to be having a whole lot of time to do God's work by faith. So is this issue distracting me from doing God's work by faith or not? If something is distracting you from doing God's work by faith, it might sound really good, and it might not violate any of the criteria of Scripture that would define it as deception. But if it's getting you off track from the, the Great Commission by faith, then you probably need to get away from it. Does that make sense? It's probably not important for you. Deception red flag number 11. Uh, are they confident without understanding? Do they consider themselves teachers of God's word but have a poor understanding of it? Right? There are a lot of people like this that consider themselves leaders or teachers, but they have a poor understanding of God's word. I'm going to put confidence without understanding. Right here. Right? Confidence without understanding. Um, an example of this, Nate, you remember this? We talked about this guy, actually. 
he's using a scripture here or a scripture there or a scripture there, and each of these scriptures out of context, and even just little snippets here or there, and then he's even using extra biblical sources, right? Like uh, the book of Enoch and the uh, Gospel of Thomas and things like that to try and validate some of his teachings. So he's, he's um, using scriptures out of context, using things other in scripture, teaching things like levitation to Christians. You need to focus on levitation. Stigmata. You guys know what stigmata is? Mm -hmm. um, blood or oil coming out of your hands or pores. Again, we'll look at some of these things in the coming weeks and we'll apply these filters and look at them in history, look at them in scripture and all that sort of stuff. Levitation, stigmata, talking with animals. Okay. Talk about speculation and meaningless talk or distraction from doing God's work by faith. I don't care if we can talk to animals. Right? It's not an important issue to me. Uh, the Great Commission is much more important than talking to animals. There are a lot of cartoons about talking to animals and that's kind of where that probably needs to stay. He was teaching things like body elongation growing to many times your size. Uh, all these things too, guys, have been traditional aspects of mysticism. They've existed outside of Christianity for millennia or centuries. And now people are trying to bring them into Christianity and using little scriptures here or there to validate these teachings. What they're showing is they have a very poor understanding of God's word, but they profess to be teachers of God's word. And they're very confident in what they teach, but they really don't understand. Again, this is a criteria of deception. Uh, invisibility, shape-shifting, you know what shape-shifting is? Uh, changing your sex, changing into other animals, like you becoming a bat. Or not vampires, what Dracula does, supposedly, or whatever. That's shape-shifting. Why in the world do Christians need a shape-shift? Right? Interaction with the cloud of witnesses. Uh, Hebrews 11 talks all about these cloud of witnesses, all these heroes of the faith. In the beginning of chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and he just talked about all these heroes of the faith, uh, let us um, keep our eyes on Jesus, right? And this guy talks about interacting with them and seeking their assistance in our life. We don't need their assistance. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, right? And he's all I need. I don't need the assistance of somebody. And in fact, God killed Saul for interacting with Samuel, who's listed in that cloud of witnesses. That's hardcore when you have teachers trying to tell you to do something that <laughs> in the Old Testament God killed somebody for doing, right? We need to, we need to not buy into this. Uh, and this guy goes on and on and on and on, operating in trances and raptures, spirit travel. That's big time new age, right? Um, smoking, Holy Spirit, marijuana. This is no joke. <laughs> it was pretty funny when we first heard about it. Uh, sucking on the tit of heaven. Like, no joke. Sucking on the tit of heaven. Fondling the breast of Jesus. Uh, stuff like that. Now, you could get one little burst to validate anything taken out of context. Right? So the idea here is, is don't buy into people that have a poor understanding of God's word, but they profess to be teachers of it. Uh, red flag number 12, going on to number 12. Does it continue going further and further away from the truth, getting crazier and crazier? In this passage, in this passage it says that they get worse and worse. So you might think, oh, that's really bad, but then it gets worse and worse. And that one example, uh, this one guy was, was talking about smoking Holy Spirit marijuana. So the next guy, right, so the next guy, this is no joke, he tries to one-up him and starts talking about smoking Holy Spirit crack. This is no joke. And then causing him to puke afterwards, just like crack causes you to puke supposedly afterwards. And then he would say, well, I'm puking because uh, it's the Holy Spirit's way of getting impurities out of my system. You, you guys need help. 
right? This, this, but they are going from bad to worse. Does that make sense? It, it, the deception didn't stay at one point, but it got worse and worse and worse. And that will be a criteria. That will be one of the criteria of deception. So um, bad to worse. I'm going to put the law of diminishing returns here. The law of diminishing returns says basically that you had to go this far to be satisfied last week, but now that doesn't quite do it for you again. This is what happens to drug addicts, alcoholics, sex addicts, all this. And so now you have to go further, and then next week you have to go further, and then next week you have to go further. Well, people that aren't abiding by scripture and that are being distracted from the um, simple devotion to Christ, they're going to go from bad to worse because only Christ satisfies. So they might say, levitation is good, and this is good, and that's good, but next week it doesn't cut it, so I have to go further down that road, right? Okay, so does it continue going further and further away from the truth? Deception, red flag number 13, um, basically says strange doctrines, myths, and stories which differ from sound doctrine. Stories which they made up, I think it says in that passage. So strange doctrines. If you hear something and you go, man, that sounds really strange. Well, check it. There's a good chance it's not legit, right? So check those things. If they differ from sound doctrine or things that you've already received, right? Okay, Peter's warning. So here's Peter talking in 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, and then verses 17 through 22. He says, but there, okay, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. These men are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and, turn, and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit. Okay. So, deception red flag number 14, hidden agenda or secrecy about true beliefs and teachings, right? They're trying to secretly introduce destructive heresies, right? So, I'm going to hold it over here because we are getting close to the end. We're going to 515 too, by the way. Right. You guys know that? Okay, cool. I didn't, I didn't know if you guys were waiting for me to get done. Okay, so they have a hidden agenda. How many of you guys have passed by the Jehovah's Witnesses? That, that are here every week on campus now at their table. What do they say? You guys want a Bible? Right? You guys want a Bible? They don't talk to me anymore. <laughs> After a little altercation. What's that, Malcolm? They don't ever talk to anyone. No? They just sit there? They have to, like, initiate Interesting. So, anyway, we, Malcolm and I kind of initiated once. It was interesting. <laughs> but... <laughs> Okay, so what do they say though? Do you want a Bible? They tell you it's a Bible. They don't tell you that they've changed this Bible over 300 times, right? 
What do they say? They've come up to us once and interrupted one of our things and said, we're Christians too. It's good to see other Christians up here. And I really went after it and said, it's so good that you guys think Jesus is God. He goes, I didn't say that. I said, we're Christians. I said, I know. And as Christians, we believe Jesus is God. It's so great you guys believe that. He goes, I didn't say that. I don't know why you're trying to start this argument here. <laughs> and he got, he got all riled up. Okay. This guy that Malcolm and I talked to, I finally just asked him, you believe Jesus is Michael Archangel, don't you? He goes, yeah. <laughs> okay, he's secretly introducing a destructive heresy. Right? He's coming out saying, oh, of course I'm a Christian just like you. Let's hang out, brother. And he's not telling you the one thing that is most fundamental to your belief. He doesn't buy into it. In fact, he's trying to deceive you of that very one thing. So I'm going to put a hidden agenda here. People could have that in... What? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah. Thank you, Jake. Okay, we're going to get through these pretty fast now. Okay, deception red flag number 15 would be sensuality and appealing to people's flesh. You guys know what sensuality means? It appeals to your senses, right? Maybe your, not just the five senses, touch and sight taste and all that sort of stuff, sound, but also things like emotions, it really gets my emotions, it really gets my, my senses, I want it, I desire it, I yearn for it, Jeremiah 17, 9 warns me about my heart, it says it's deceitful, right, and, and I can't understand it, and so sensuality is going to be a big issue of deception, in other words, it's going to sound really good to you, usually, it's not often going to sound bad, but it might sound really good, I would hear things like this, and not to be crass, but Christians used to say things like this when I was in college. Premarital sex is wrong, but oral sex is okay. Gosh, well, that really appeals to your sensuality, right? Um, but it's, it's completely obliterating the scriptural command to sexual purity. Does that make sense? Right? That's one example of something appealing to sensuality, and people might go, oh, that sounds like a good, a good, you know, a real issue. And it's total deception. Deception, uh, red flag number 16. Jesus gets maligned. He gets a bad rap. This is that causes the way to be brought into disrepute, right, in that passage. So when, when certain doctrines are giving Jesus a bad name, they're deception, right, because what's from him is going to glorify him. It's not going to give him a bad name. That room of people barking like dogs, somebody walks in and says, what in the world's going on here? Well, that's giving God a bad name. These Christians look extremely foolish all of a sudden. Number 17, greed and materialism. That's in verse 3 that we just read in 2 Peter 2. Can you guys think of examples of greed and materialism in Christianity today? Prosperity gospel. Yeah, hardcore prosperity gospel. Does God want to meet all your needs? Philippians 19, yes. Without a doubt. Does God want you to be a billionaire? I would put it this way. Some of you guys have the spiritual gift of giving. And if you have the spiritual gift of giving, God is, it tells you to excel in that and to give liberally, right? So God is going to give you the capacity to give a whole lot away, right? So if you do find yourself having a lot of money sometime in your future, believe by faith that one of your spiritual gifts is the gift of giving. And give like crazy, right? And, and then God will give you more, and you give like crazy, and God will give you more, and you give like crazy. 
I don't think God intended for any of us to just try and live wealthy lives, right? It's not his desire. There, there are 25,000 kids a day dying of starvation. There are Christians all over this planet putting their lives on the line to serve God and not able to put food on the table for their families. Right? If I have money, God wants me to be giving that money. Away. And by the way, we're all in the richest couple percent in the world, as we are already. So even in college, make it a point to give. So greed and materialism is definitely one of the criteria of deception. Second uh, Peter 2, 3 also talks about taking advantage of people. Okay, goes kind of back to some of that manipulation stuff that we talked about earlier. Ver or number 19 would be pride. You guys ever seen leaders that just are super proud? They really think they're all there. And I'm, you wish you'd judge people. I've, I've, I've had somebody tell me once about my pastor. Why he's the proudest guy in there? And I know Dwight really well. And I thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. This guy, I mean, people will come up to him and say, I have an idea for ministry. It's clown fishing ministry. I'm making this example up. And Dwight would say, I'm right behind you. I will support you in that. He is the most supportive person I've ever met in my life. Right? He, he will support you even if your idea sounds absolutely absurd and crazy. He's not proud at all. He's the opposite of that. He's extremely humble. And I've I challenged him on things that we disagree about, and he is so humble in his response to me. So when this person said this, I was almost shocked. I thought that's the last thing in the world I would ever think about him. What I realized is uh, he's, he's a confident leader, which is a good thing. Right? So maybe somebody could, could consider that otherwise in a way that's not true. So I'm, I would encourage you not to judge people and say, oh, they're proud right away. Right? But if somebody really is proud and thinks that they really are all that, then watch out because it's probably an issue of deception. That same biker guy that wanted to kick people in the face that we mentioned earlier also told everybody Jesus himself is going to start showing up at my meetings in, in the flesh so you can all see him and caught himself. Clarified. And said, well, I mean spiritually. Well, yeah, Christians are gathered there in his name, so it's already happened, buddy. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you could see this guy's pride inflating him to the point where he believed that he was so in tune with God that God would do things with him that he would not do with anyone else. So be, be very, very, very cautious of that kind of pride of anybody in ministry. Right? Okay, uh, the promise of freedom. Now we're going through these different passages to talk about these issues, but going back to this special revelation, a lot of times people are going to say, we have the only truth, okay? And it's going to give you a freedom that you've never had until now. Well, that freedom is only in Christ. He bought it at Calvary 2,000 years ago. So if you're not experiencing that, the issue isn't getting in line with their special revelation. The issue is simply walking daily in his word and the power of his spirit, right? So watch out for people that try to promise something more, something that's a big point. In that freedom, people that, that try to get more of God, more of the Holy Spirit, you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you every day, so you can't get any more of Him. Second right? Peter 1.3 says He's already given you everything you need for life and godliness. There's no more to be got. Does that make sense? So your prayer shouldn't be, God, I want more. I want more. It should be, God, I want to be more obedient. I want to want more in line with you. I, you might ask, God, I want more of you in my life. Right? Because I want you to have, I want to surrender more. I want to, I want to give you more of myself. I don't want to stand in the way. 
asking for more and more and more is a real dangerous place. So the promise of freedom. And then 21 is non-Christian actions. Okay, it talks here about these people that they see going back to what they did before Christ. Did you catch that at the end? Let me go back and read it again. But it puts it this way. It says, These men are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They, they, they promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. Right? So they're slaves of the sinful lifestyle. For man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it, right, and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. So it's saying some of these same people that are, that are deceiving, they're going to get tangled back with the same things that they were in before they were saved, right? And a lot of times I'll even try to put a Christian face on those issues and try to tell you, oh yeah, that's, that's what God wants. Okay, so those are 21 different criteria of deception, signs, and miracles. And again, not, not any one of these means it's totally deception. You need, you need to check it, because God can obviously do signs and miracles. But Jesus himself said that would be a sign of deception. Uh, division among believers, empty flattery, distraction from a simple and pure devotion to Jesus, foolishness, uh, roughness, being physically rough, legalism and manipulation, Special revelation, speculation and meaningless talk, distraction from doing God's work by faith, confidence without understanding, going from bad to worse, strange doctrines, hidden agendas, sensuality, Jesus getting a bad rap because of what they teach, greed materialism, taking advantage of people, pride, the promise of something beyond, right? Promise of more freedom, the promise of more whatever in non-Christian actions. So those are the 21 criteria of deception. This will be the third layer of the filter that we'll, we'll kind of breeze through each week. We won't go through this each week, of course. But let's pray and close it out. And I guess, actually, in closing, be ready next week. Bring your computer, bring your Bible, and be ready to actually take some worldviews now, okay? So we're going to take some actual things that are being talked about, being told, some apologetical issues, and we're going to plug them through these filters. I guess before we go, I should read through the filters too. Uh, the first layer is going to be what does the Bible 